we're starting a, a summer-long series that we're going to be going through all summer. And I'm going to tell you a couple reasons why I'm excited about it here in a minute. Um, but we're essentially just going to be going through the Psalms together. Um, if you don't know much about the Bible, then there's a good chance that you've heard about the Psalms. And here's the good thing. If you're brand new to church um, and you just kind of happen to bring a Bible with you today, and this is your first time, and someone says, you know, that you were going to be in something like, you know, second hesitations which isn't really a book you know but you know they say some ridiculous sounding church book and you're like i have no clue and you're spending half the sermon trying to find out where it is that you don't want to give yourself away and it comes you know it's a little confusing mess do i do i do i not you know that whole thing the good thing is when we talk about the psalms man you just crack that sucker up into the middle and there's like a 90 percent chance that you're going to hit it if you're a very good you know you can tell the middle of the bible from the other half of the bible so um we're going to be in the book of psalms this morning and we're going to be going through it through the entire summer uh, the reason that we wanted to do this is, is for a bunch of different reasons. Number one, it gives us a, a good amount of um, uh, subjects to hit. If you've ever read through Psalms um, on your own, you know one of the great things about the book of Psalms is it's not a book in the sense of like somebody wrote down and said, okay, here's a book that I'm writing. Psalms is actually a collection of poetry. Psalms is a collection of about 150 different accounts and different people split it up different ways and through the ages and through you know, the, the kind of generations that have happened. Some psalms have been put together and some psalms have been spread apart, but as we kind of have it now in our current Old Testament, we have about 150 psalms. And in those psalms, there's all kinds of categories. There's all kinds of things that are covered. And so we're going to systematically be going through the psalms. We're going to take a chunk by a chunk by a chunk. Now, one of the things that we want to invite you to do is if you have a Bible, um, then we would invite you to read, read along at home. If you don't have a Bible, then you can take one. It's a gift from us. Um, they're in the back. And we would, we would love for you more so than to come to church and to hear it every week. I and mean, we think that's valuable and important. But what we feel like is more important is for you to go and you to read the Bible for yourself at your house. Because, come on, let's be honest. There have been a lot of pastors who have said a lot of weird stuff over the years. You know what I'm saying? There have been some weirdos out there. And just to be fair, I try not to be a weirdo as, 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 as consistently as possible. But from time to time, from time to time, you need to read what I say and not just take my word for it because I'm a pastor. We think what's more valuable than you hearing me talk or you hearing anybody speak about God's word is you actually getting into God's word on your own. And so what we've done is we've kind of devised a reading plan that you can get through all 150 psalms kind of one by one as it tracks throughout the summertime. And so you're going to be able to find that online at downtowncommunitychurch.com, downtowncommunitychurch.com. We've got a whole reading plan for you. For you. You, can, you can look at it, print it out, download it. And I think you could print it out and download it. I don't know if you could print it out or download it, but you can at least see it, and you're all just very intelligent people, so you can just write it down for yourself if you're not being lazy that particular day. So we would love for you to take that and read it by yourself. Now, um, one, one last thing before we actually uh, get into the whole sermon thing. The reason why I love the book of Psalms, specifically, the reason why I love the book of Psalms, especially the reason I love talking about and teaching on the book of Psalms, is every time that we gather together, we know that one thing happens inevitably, that all of us are at different places in terms of our faith. All of us are at different places in terms of our belief about God. All of us are at different places in belief about Jesus. All of us are at different places in terms of how convinced we are that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Some of you, you walked in this morning, and it's a phenomenal thing, we're glad you're here, but you've been at church 85,000 times in your life. And that's wonderful. We are glad that you're here this morning. But when we talk about the book of Psalms, that kind of, you know, reverts back to some stuff you know, but here's a little bit more of why we're excited. Because for many of you, when we gather together, you don't know where you are. You're kind of trying to figure this whole thing out. Perhaps for you, you know, everybody has a different story. But perhaps for you, you weren't grown up in a Christian home. You didn't go to the Christian school. You didn't do the Christian thing. You didn't go to the vacation Bible school. You didn't, you know, have the Sunday school felt sticker board. Anybody have the Sunday school felt sticker board? 
You know what I'm talking about? And you showed up enough times, you get like a little star, and then like eventually someday you got like a little cross. But they were kind of weary about the cross, so it's like a gold star, or do you get a silver star? It's kind of the weirdo star. So you kind of had that whole star thing and the whole felt board going. You just grew up in the church. I mean, you did youth group, you did youth camp, you did all this time, different stuff, different stuff. And if that's you, then that's wonderful. But for many of us, we didn't grow up with that. You didn't have that. And so you're kind of as an adult coming to some of your own realizations about faith. You're investigating it on your own. You're seeing what you believe on your own. And for some of you, when you walked in this morning, the reality is, is that you walked in and for a while, for a season, maybe it was for a semester, maybe it was for a year, maybe it was for a number of years, you walked away from your faith. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but here's, here's what's interesting about whenever anyone walks away from their faith. Whenever you walk away from your faith for a little while, Whenever you walk away from your faith from a little while, your theology stops where your faith stopped. Now, here's why that's significant. Because for some of you, when you walked in this morning, you really haven't taken faith seriously since you were in middle school. And so in middle school, you learned a whole set of things about God. You learned a whole set of ideas about God. Jesus is your best friend. You have like the camp type faith. You had the faith. Everybody went to camp. And we talked about this a number of times before. When you went to, you showed up and, and you, know, you sang. And it was this great ooey-gooey feeling. And everybody left. And they were going to invade hell with super soakers. And you were going to break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And everybody's going to burn their secular CDs. But I was going to ask if anybody's ever been to a secular CD burning party. But we're not going to go there this morning because that's not us. Anyways... Wherever your theology, wherever, wherever your kind of faith stopped, whether, wherever you t- stopped taking Jesus or the Bible seriously stopped, at that point, your theology stopped. And here's the problem. Many of us go on from whether that was elementary school, middle school, high school, early college, and depending on where you, like, where you are in life, you don't do anything like you used to do in middle school. You don't think about anything, hopefully, like you used to when you are in middle school. I don't eat like a middle schooler. I would love to, but I'd, eat, I'd gain about 1,000 pounds. Seriously, people brought us, you know, Lindsay and I, as you guys know, we, um, we had a little baby girl. She's actually here for the first time, kind of excited about that one. Um, we had a baby, and so people start bringing us food, and everybody, I mean, it, it, here's the problem. Everybody brings their best dish, it seems like, you know? And I don't know if you know about your best dish when you cook. It's like the least healthy thing that you ever make. You know what I'm saying? Like, you make the most ridiculous butter-filled, cheese-filled, starchy, carby, all this kind of stuff. And we're sitting there eating, and we have leftovers for days. We have, like, frozen food for days, which, by the way, you can feel free to keep bringing it. But we have all this food, and the whole time, you know, the middle schooler in me. Okay, you know, here's the truth. About three days ago, Brian Norris brought one of those gigantic um, Cinnabon from Publix things. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but they're like a Cinnabon on crack rock or steroids more so. And when it shows up, you know, it's, it's this huge thing. No one can eat it. And in the middle schooler inside of you, you start eating it, but it doesn't really make you full. And so you just want to keep going and keep going and keep going. And this this little tempting devil box on top of your kitchen counter that you just want to dominate. And, and, and now here, here's why that's completely irrelevant, but completely relevant at the same time. Because there's something inside of me that wants to revert back to the way I ate in middle school and just wants to see if I can devour the whole thing, because that's fun. But the adult in me says, Ben, if you do that, you're going to be running for days and try to work that sucker off. And in the same way that you no longer think about food, you no longer think about work, you no longer think about school, you no longer think about friends, you no longer think about relationships, you shouldn't think about God in the same way that you thought about God in middle school. 
or high school or college or as a young adult, depending on where you are in life. And here's what's great about the Psalms. No matter where you are and no matter who you are, no matter where you are in your faith journey and no matter who you are, almost everyone, it's almost ubiquitous in our culture that the Psalms, whether you believe in Jesus or not, are something that have wisdom in them that we can learn from. And here's my hope. That as you start to learn about the Psalms, as we start to learn about the Psalms together, maybe that middle school theology, maybe that middle school belief in Jesus, or maybe for you for the first time, you're investigating faith. As you open the Psalms, maybe you'll realize that the Bible does actually have some wisdom to say about the adult world. And the Bible doesn't deny reality, but in many cases the Bible affirms what you've already experienced in reality. And the Bible, the Psalms, are a great doorway back into the pursuit or even just the questions as it relates to God and faith. So, open up your Bible if you got one. If you don't got one, you can just open up on your phone and you can look at it. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. Now, Psalm chapter 1, again, we're going to kind of go as, as the Psalms unfold themselves. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 this morning. We're going to read the whole thing eventually. Now, as we read through the Psalms, um, there's a couple things to note. Psalms, uh, again, they're written as poetry. Now, there's, they're not necessarily poetry as we know poetry. A lot of times the iambic pendameter. I think that's right. Anybody with me on that one? Okay, if I mess that one up, tell me afterwards. Ben at dcctally.com. Um, so it, 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 it's not the same basically rhyming type of, of poetry, but they had tons of different types of poetry. Oftentimes, their sentence in terms of their structure was balanced. They would oftentimes write in terms of couplets, so one thing would lead to the next thing, or one sentence wouldn't be quite a complete sentence, but it would be clarified or, divine, or defined or sometimes contrasted. We're going to get into some of those where one time the psalmist writes, okay, so talk to a guy who's a fool like this. Don't talk to a guy who's a fool. It's like... Well, that's real confusing because you just said, I'm not talking about, you know, in James the Bible says something that contradicts, contradicts something in John. Like, this is like two verses right next to each other that clearly contradict each other. And yeah, it's because it was a type of poetry. It's a type of writing. It's a literary style, literary device, if you will. Sometimes when they wrote stuff, they would write things. In fact, if you've ever read through Psalm 119, if you don't know about Psalm 119, it's the biggest chapter in the Bible. You know why it's the biggest chapter in the Bible? Because they're talking about the law of God. And essentially what he does is he does a kind of poetry that's an acrostic. So all of the first eight verses of Psalm 119 start with the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. The second eight verses start with the second letter. The third eight verses start with the, second, with the third letter. And each one kind of ticks down, ticks down, until they go through the entire Hebrew alphabet. And it's a big, gigantic acrostic. But that doesn't necessarily recorded in our Bible as it kind of translates into our language. But... Psalm chapter 1 is essentially an introduction to the Psalms. It introduces, it introduces a bunch of major themes and a bunch of big stuff that we're going to discover throughout the summer. So we're going to go through it together. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man. Now, this is kind of, you're going to find this a ton in the Psalms. It talks about blessed is the man, cursed is the man. Blessed is the man, cursed is the man. And it doesn't necessarily mean a physical, literal blessing, but sometimes it does. It's kind of like, good for him if... Blessed is he, blessed is he spiritually, maybe blessed is he materially, but blessed is he, and he's going to dive into something that I think hits hard from the get-go, and here's what he says, blessed is the man 
who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. Now, here's what's interesting. The writer, again, as anyone does who writes poetry, they write intentionally. They choose their words specifically and carefully. And so he starts off with this progression of wickedness. And he says, so blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who doesn't first walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now, he uses that walk specifically. And what we're going to find is he starts off with walk. And then he says stand. And then he says sit. Because as you've experienced now, as I've experienced in life, when it comes to your sinfulness and when it comes to my sinfulness, because we all have sinful tendencies, there are varying levels of immersion in terms of how sinful we are, in terms of our progression into sin. So he said, blessed is the man. Let me just kind of, you know, set the groundwork for all the Psalms. Blessed is the man, first and foremost, who doesn't walk, and then who doesn't stand, and then who doesn't sit. And let me break down those three categories for you. So he starts off with walk. Now walking is especially his counsel. So his thought process here as he's writing this is essentially someone who is entertaining thoughts of evil, entertaining thoughts of sinfulness. Now we all to a degree do this. There's not anyone who walked into church this morning who thinks, I've never even entertained a sinful thought in my life. If that's you, you need to start your own church. Because your church is going to be way better than our church. Because we've all thought. And as, as we think David, who's writing this psalm, speaks, he says, yeah, no, no, I'm not talking about you just ever had a sinful thought. No, 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 we're not talking about that. But you've experienced in your life the birthplace of a degeneration of your spiritual life almost always starts with a thought. The degeneration of your spiritual life and my spiritual life almost always starts with an idea. You used to think you'd never do ABC, and then you had the idea. Maybe it's not that bad. You thought you'd never go to wherever, you'd never start doing whatever, you'd never stop doing whatever, and then you had an idea. See, this... Isn't it, just kind of take it in like a dumbed down way. A lot of times we think, okay, legalistic, you know, I'm never going to do this, I'm never going to do that. But in, in a small way, many of us as Christians, we don't even read our Bible. And for many of us, we used to read our Bible. You used to spend adequate time in God's Word every day. You used to spend adequate time in prayer every day. And no one who ever was doing a phenomenal job of spending time with God daily ever woke up one morning and said, I am done. I'm going to continue to be a Christian. I'm going to continue to go to church. And I'm probably going to continue to go to community group. But I am done reading my Bible and praying. But many Christians suffer from a spiritual lack of time daily with God. And you want to know why? And anyone in the room who's ever been in that situation, or maybe you're currently in that situation, it's because you woke up one day and didn't make a big decision that you were never going to read your Bible again for yourself. Or that you were going to go the next month and you were going to read your Bible for yourself. It's probably because you woke up one day, or I woke up one day, and I thought, I've read my Bible every day for the last month, for the last week, for the last few days. And I'm busy. 
And it's not that big of a deal if I don't read today. It's not that big of a deal if I don't pray today. And you know what? It's not. But that thought can oftentimes give birth to the next step. He says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners. And as he takes this next step forward, this next progressed step forward, he says, okay, so the next step, after you know, you've kind of thought, thought for a little bit, you start to walk along that mindset a little bit, then you start to stand in it. The reality of a thought in your life can oftentimes transform into an action especially when it comes to entertaining the ideas and the thoughts of things that you know and things that I know. That if God were looking at you or God were looking at me, you'd know he doesn't want you to do. And I would know he doesn't want me to do. And so Paul says, okay, so there's a, there, there's a good amount of us. Not Paul, I'm sorry, David. Paul wrote like most of the New Testament, so kind of overarching. So David talks. He says, hey, for many of you, for me, there's a progression. And at first I entertain a thought, and then that thought starts to become an action. And many of us, if we're being honest, the story of our life is we have done things that we never thought we would do. We've done sinful things. We've done bad things. We've done terrible things that, I mean, you're not a bad person, I'm not a bad person, but none of us would want anyone else to know. And it's not because you're a horrible person, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. You know, it's nothing. No, it's just because you're a person. And all of us have thought, I'm never going to do that, had the thought that I might do that, and then started to do the action that we thought we would never do. And for some of you, maybe you're here this morning because you started to do an action that you never thought you would do and it scared you to death. And you didn't know where to go, you didn't know what to do, but you just simply knew that you might want to start going to church. And that's the answer to everything. But maybe that's why you showed up this morning. Because you've experienced this. As an adult. So he says, so the next step. Is he stands in the way of the sinners. Nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. So, So for some of us, you know, you're just entertaining the thought right now. For some of us, you've passed from the entertaining the thought idea to the actual living in the idea, actually started to to do some of the action. And then the last thing is you just start to sit in it. You just start to be okay with it. It kind of becomes who you are. It becomes your identity. And here's the problem. Specifically when, when David's talking right now, he's talking about people of God. Now, if you're in here and you're not a Christian, you're trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out, then, you know, all this stuff you're welcome to listen to, it doesn't directly apply to you. But as he's talking to Christians, or as he's talking to people of God, men and women of faith specifically, he says, you're going to have this tendency in your life. You're going to have this tendency to have a thought, and that thought manifests itself in an action, and that action manifests itself in a lifestyle. And if we're all being completely transparent, we've all been there at some point in our walk. Many of us are there right now. 
We're somewhere in that continuum where we're either entertaining thoughts that we know and the Bible knows and our small group leader, our community group leader, or whoever knows, our husband, our wife, our roommate, the person that we're accountability partners with, you know that you ought not be thinking, but you're entertaining the thought. And for some of us, that thought has transpired to an action that you know you're now living contrary to how God wants you to live. And for many of us, we've been walking in that action for so long that we're just sitting in it. And there's sin this morning. As a Christian, that we know, and for some of us, we hope no one finds out about. And David says, but bless it. But let me contrast this for a second. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, let me tell you about what's so life-giving to this. Is many of us have sat through church services. Many of us have sat through talks where someone talked about a cyclical pattern, a cyclical progression of sin that happens in our life. And you walked away feeling like a terrible person, think, I'm just going to try hard to never do that again. You walk out and you go to Sonny's or you go to Merv's or you know, go home, wherever you go to. And inside, maybe in the car around the way home, you're talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm a horrible person. I feel like whatever, whatever. But here's the good news. Paul says, Paul says, let me, let me give you a little contrast. Here's the other side of that. There's a type of people who delight. And in fact, blessed are these type of people who delight in the law of the Lord. Because here's the reality. Here's the reality. If you are passive towards God and his word, you will be active in sin. But if you are active in God and his word, you will be incredibly passive towards sin. The key for our holiness as Christians, the key for our sanctification as Christians, isn't to try to go out and be better people. Once you've made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, it's to be active in his word. And his word wells up inside of you, gives you the strength, gives you the courage, gives you the strength and the courage to overcome the things that you maybe thought you would never be able to overcome in your life. You had an addiction that you never thought you would be able to overcome. You had a cyclical pattern of sin that you never thought you would be able to overcome. And it wasn't your decision that I'm never going to do that again that made you overcome that. But as you grew in your relationship with God, if you became active in God's word, as your relationship with God grew, He gave you the strength to do the things that you never thought you'd be able to do. And some might be explicable to willpower, but you know you, and I know me. And there have been things that I've tried many times in my own willpower to try to quit, try to stop, to try to start. And it wasn't until I immersed myself in God's word that I grew. 
So he continues on. And he says, so let me draw this little picture for you. He said, he is like a tree. The person who immerses themselves in God's word. Now it says he, but it's kind of, it's kind of like a gender neutral type he. So anybody. He is like a tree planted. Or you can underline that word if you want to. We're going to come back to it. By streams of water that yields its fruit in its seasons. And its leaves do not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Now, I don't think anybody reading this verse thinks I don't want that to describe me. If you're a Christian, he says, come on, come on. Here's the natural causation of you spending time in God's word. Here's the natural causation of you daily going before your heavenly father, daily spending time with him, daily going to him in prayer. Here's the natural causation that you're going to be like a tree that's planted. You're going to have this stability. You're going to have this fruitfulness, and it's not going to be wavering. It's not going to be, okay, I'm here for a little bit, and I'm there for a little bit, and I was on, you know, this semester, and I was off this semester. I was on this season of life, and off this season of life. I says, come on, come on. You're just going to be solid, and you're going to be fruitful. Jesus said it in John chapter 15. He says, hey, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Anyone who remains in me, the natural causation of remaining in me, will bear much good fruit. It's just going to happen. If you have a sin problem, if you have a lack of fruit problem as a Christian, the issue is not your effort to produce more fruit. The issue is not your, your effort to be less sinful. The issue is a remaining issue. The issue is an abiding issue. The issue is being planted firmly in God's word issue. So let me ask you this as a Christian. Let me get to the, the bottom line. Have you spent adequate time in God's Word this week? If you're a Christian, have you spent adequate time in God's Word this week? For some of us, maybe you've gone to church your entire life and no one's really put that much emphasis, depending on your faith, depending on your background. But let me just tell you. In fact, let me not tell you. Read it for yourself. Read John 15 for yourself. Read Psalm 1 for yourself. In fact, read all of Psalm chapter 119 for yourself. And he says, so the person who doesn't, the wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's an, that's, a, that's an image that we don't really get. When they would kind of harvest a lot of their crops, and there'd be a lot of wheat, and there'd be, they were trying to separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff was kind of like the weeds. What they'd do is the, the wheat essentially was heavier. They'd throw it up in the air in a windy spot, and the chaff would go, and the wheat would fall to the ground. That's how they'd separate it. So he says, for the wicked, they're like chaff. Right, the wind drives away. Therefore, verse 5, at the end of the day, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And that's not saying the wicked won't be judged. It's that everyone someday will have to stand before God and give an account for their life. 
And he says, and so the people who haven't put their trust in God, the people who haven't put their trust, and specifically later on, the people who haven't put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, I mean, you're going to be standing on your own accord. You're going to be standing on your own good deeds. And I'm a pretty good person, but I'm not nearly that good of a person because God is infinitely holier, bigger, smarter, more powerful, and more pure than I am. So it says they're not going to be able to stand. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, as he says this whole thing, here, here, here's what I think is, is, is so significant. This is, a, this is a word that you go over. In verse 3, he says this. He says, the righteous is like a tree that's planted. Planted. Now, I know some of you guys, you just got done with exams this week, but we're going to go back to a little school for a second, all right? We're going to talk about a little part of speech that I know you guys all just talk daily of. You know, you guys talk about it in your, you know, community groups, and you talk about it, you know, over breakfast in the morning. Um, I know you guys always talk about participles. Anybody with me? Anybody had a great just convo about participles this week? Good. Me neither. So, participles, let me explain for those of you guys, you know, you're kind of, <laughs> I had to look up what the heck is a participle, so I wouldn't say unwell read, but you're not unwell read, you're just normal. So, a participle, a participle is essentially a word that you take from a verb. So, for instance, in the participle, the participle in this word, what you would think the participle would be, would be to be planted. To be planted would be the normal thing that you would think that would be the participle for this specific verb when it says in verse 3 that he is like a tree planted. But it's not. Now, here's why this is significant. I promise I'm not just geeking out for no reason about participles. Stick with me. The verb that he brings from when he's talking in the original Hebrew language, when he says planted, is not to be planted, it's to be transplanted. The idea behind this verse is not that you're a tree that just always existed by a river. It's that you are a tree that didn't used to exist by a river, that now exists by a river. You are a tree that didn't used to be sturdy, but now you are sturdy. You are a tree that didn't used to A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but now you X, Y, Z pretty darn well because you're planted by a stinking river. And it's not the fact that the tree is so big or so strong. It's because of the, the fact that it's planted by a river at this point. And how could a tree planted by a river, river not get the right nutrients? Now, that might be a lot of weird tree talk, but let me tell you what that means in reality. That means that for none of us, none of us were born into faith. None of us were born into the idea of Jesus. None of us just happened to be, you know, fine off, fall off the genealogical tree that all of a sudden we were just born and you were a Christian by birth. That's just not how faith works. What happens for you, what happens for me, what happens for all of us who have placed our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus is the idea that we are all sinners. We have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's not a you thing. That's not a me thing. That's a human condition problem. That's the unifying factor between the entire human race. Is that we're all sinners. And in heaven, there is a God who is holy and who is pure and who is just and who is righteous. And because of his holy and his pureness and his righteousness and his justness, and because of my sinfulness, there's a natural gap between he and I. And he sent his son Jesus to bridge that gap, essentially. He sent his son Jesus in a transactional sense. Because as much as I would like to make myself good, I can't make myself good enough. Because good enough would be perfect and I'll never be perfect once I have a blemish. 
And he sent his son Jesus to say, I know you can't make yourself perfect, so I'm going to send one who is perfect. And the perfect perfectness is going to die for your sinfulness to make you perfect and to cloak your unperfectness with perfectness. To make the unholiness holy. To make the unrighteousness righteous. And to give you life. Not just to make an unguilty or a guilty person unguilty, but to make a dead person alive. And what we believe happens when anyone places their faith, their hope, and their trust in Jesus, when anyone calls on Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we believe that they're transplanted. They're transplanted from death to life, from darkness to light. And for many of us, if we're being honest, the transplanting that happens in our life, the transplanting that brings us from one to the other, was way more simple than you first thought it was. Because for many of us, we spent years of our life trying to work our way to God. Paul says, or not Paul, David, I'm sorry. He says, no, no, you're transplanted. You're transplanted. You're transplanted. You're brought from one to the other. You're brought from one to the other. And the way that you're brought from one to the other, by the way, is not because you're a good person. It's not because you work hard. It's not because you attend Sunday school enough. It's not because you attend church enough. It's not because you're in the choir or the handbell choir or you went to community group. Here's why it is. Because you've placed your faith in the fact that you can't. But Jesus did. And then as a Christian, once you've been grafted, once you've been transplanted, once you've been brought to that river, you just start sinking your roots so, so, so deep. In a tree who is firmly planted by the river will continue to grow and will continue to be healthy. The problem is, for many of us who are Christians, you've been transplanted, but because we didn't get immersed in God's word, we're a new tree that's back in the old field. We're a new tree that's been transplanted by the river and uprooted ourselves and put ourselves in another field. Because a lot of times, we first had a thought. And after that thought manifested, you had some action. And after that action manifested, it kind of became your lifestyle and your identity. Let me just tell you, if that's you and you're here this morning, I am so glad you're here. Because to get from that is not for you to make a decision, okay, I'm going to re-transplant myself. Because let's be honest, you didn't transplant yourself in the first place. It was Jesus who did what you couldn't do. And so to get back to that place is not for you to try, just try, just try, just try. The goal for us as Christians is to grow in a relationship with God, to grow in a relationship with God, to grow in His Word, to grow in prayer, for some of us to grow in fasting, for some of us to grow in serving, for some of us to grow in community, for some of us to grow in transparency within that community. 
But the idea that the psalmist sets out for the entire book of Psalms in Psalm chapter 1 is, hey, here's the deal. You have been transplanted by a stream, so grow your roots deep. Your roots are grown deep through the word of God, and so get into it. And you're going to bear fruit. And you're going to bear fruit. So, we're going to close here in one second, but let me just ask this question one more time. Have you spent adequate time in God's Word this week? As a Christian, have you spent adequate time in God's Word this week? And isn't it true that if you were to think back, and again, this is, this is, a, this is a Christian's question. If you were to think back in the times of your faith where you struggled the most, isn't it true that that's oftentimes the time that you were in God's word the least? The times that you struggled the most in faith, sometimes the times that you struggled the most in life, were oftentimes times that you were in God's word the least. And here's why. This is the, if you don't remember anything else, sentence. This is just the bottom line of the whole thing. If you checked out for everything, Being active towards God and God's word will make you passive towards sin. But being passive towards God and God's word will always make you active towards sin. I had a good friend of mine, a fellow of mine by the name of Reggie Hutchins, and he said it this way, and I thought this was brilliant, so this is kind of the, the lead you with. He said, one of two things going to happen. Either the Bible's going to keep you away from sin or sin's going to keep you away from the Bible. You choose. Either the Bible's going to keep you away from sin or sin's going to keep you away from the Bible. You choose. And wouldn't it be unbelievable if a family of faith got serious about this? In a, in a, in a city where there are a sea of churches, wouldn't it be different if there was a church, if there was a group of people, if there was a body of people who took this seriously. And the entire city saw, the entire city knew that these people, when every other church, when every other group, when every other body might have people and everybody's back and forth and I don't really know and I'm just not sure, that these people are solid. As Isaiah puts it, that these people are like a tree, an oak of righteousness, a display for the splendor of his glory. But it all starts as you come to the realization that the Bible is going to keep you away from sin or sin is going to keep you away from the Bible. That being active towards the Bible and God's word is going to make you passive towards sin. But passiveness towards God and his word is going to make you active in sin. So let me tell you, Christian, you choose. Tomorrow morning when you get up, you choose. Tuesday morning when you get up, you choose. Wednesday morning when you get up, you choose. Every single day, you choose. So choose wisely.